In this episode, it's the case of the Fried Fryer. Welcome to Service Calls, a podcast for service techs brought to you by Tech Town and Food Service Equipment Reports. And in this episode, we'll hear about how a non-certified install did more than just void the warranty on a brand new fryer. And joining me is Food Service Equipment Reports Chief Content Officer Allison Resendiz. First, we're going to talk about tricks and challenges when it comes to servicing outdoor dining setups. So service agents are caring for more outdoor kitchens this summer after so many operators moved dining outside this past year. And it's uh, not just about tables, chairs, and umbrellas. Some operators moved refrigerators, grills, and even pizza ovens outside. Uh, talking to us on the phone from Norwood, Massachusetts, it's Joe Warren and Sons, Manager of Technical Staffing, Training, and Development, Garrett Warren. And Garrett, tell us, uh, how is servicing outdoor kitchens different than indoor kitchens? And what are some aspects of this kind of service call that you might just not have even thought about going in? Weather is an issue. Indoor kitchens are obviously a climate-controlled environment. So when you have outdoor cooking equipment, it's really you can't run it in the wintertime. You're not going to run an ice machine or a refrigerator at a 20 degree New England day. So right. it comes into um, play there. And then also winterizing equipment and starting up equipment. There's some new things there in the wintertime or fall when the season, summer season starting to wind down. We'll go out to our customers. We'll run a sanitizing cycle through their ice machines. And then we kind of winterize it, take all the water out. So when it does freeze, it doesn't break any parts. What are some surprising mistakes you've seen operators make when moving equipment outside? One unique scenario was down in New Bedford. We got a warranty call from a manufacturer, commercial refrigerator not making temperature, like running at 45 degrees. I went down there, a very nice gentleman, kind of had a great outdoor living space, and he um, had this commercial refrigerator. He had tinted the glass and everything. You could see all the condensation running down the glass, and it was just due to where he placed his refrigerator was just in direct sunlight. The old one that was replaced before had a solid door on it with no glass, so it really wasn't that big of an issue. But once he went with the clear glass door on that, the way he placed it, sun was just going right through there. He tried tinting it. The fridge was doing everything it could do. I even called the factory, and they were shocked that it was running so well given the conditions. It was like a 93-degree day. It was in direct sunlight. So those are some of the things that you run into with the outdoor stuff is that you really can't control the ambient temperature outside so much as you can inside with air conditioning and heat. So you run into some issues there. Thinking about uh, the kitchen equipment outside, you're not only dealing with the elements, but also maybe uh, the wildlife. Do you have any memorable stories you can share on uh, doing a service call in an outdoor kitchen? Yeah, there was a good one. Um, got a call on a refrigerator running warm. It was a cooler morning by the time I got up there, probably about 50 degrees out. So when I got there, the unit was actually at 38 degrees, but it was a long drive. So I got out there, I pulled the unit out just to kind of inspect it. And I took the back panel off and um, all I could see was like straw and grass and everything else. And I kind of just poked around with my screwdriver and it ended up being like a baby mice nest and just absolutely suffocated the um, condenser causing the unit to run high head pressure and trip the compressor out on thermal overload. So we removed all that. I told the customer they might want to get some really, you know, small wire mesh, like fencing, like an eighth of an inch to try and keep the mice out. But that's something that, you know, they're going to run into with the, with the outdoor stuff. And believe it or not, we actually, about two days later, you know, we took that nest out. 
thing ran great. We got a call back again saying it was running warm again. I said, all right, let me go up there and take a look. Before I even got up there, the customer had called the shop and canceled the call. He had pulled it out himself. The mice were back within two days building another nest. When techs are speaking with clients about setting up a planned maintenance program on outdoor equipment in particular, what are some points to definitely hit? So since it's really seasonal equipment here in New England, um, they're really only getting maybe four, five months out of the year with it. We, we kind of call it like a startup and a winterization instead of planned maintenance. We'll go out, you know, say early spring and we'll, we'll sanitize everything, their grills, their ice machines, refrigerators, and then start everything up, make sure it reaches temperature. Everything's working properly at factory spec. And then we'll tell them, you know, when you guys are done with your, with your summer season, give us a call back and we'll winterize their equipment. We go back out again, sanitize everything. So in the spring, they're ready to go. We remove all the water from the system, disconnect the electrical because it's not going to be in use anymore for the winter. That way it's safe. It's stored away properly. And when, they, when springtime comes and they're open, they're ready to rock and roll. Do you have any, uh, some, you know, good to know safety tips for service techs when working on outdoor kitchens? I would say it's very similar to indoor kitchens. Just be aware of your surroundings. I always tell the newer techs, a lot of them, they, they have the earbuds in and stuff. I'm not a big fan of that. You should hear stuff, different motors, different sounds. You might pick up another service call there just by hearing a funny sound on another unit. And then just be aware of your surroundings. You're going to be in, there's going to be a lot of stone on the outdoor kitchens, a lot of custom woodwork. I've noticed that, that you know, it's almost like a fine area. You don't want to scratch anything. It's, it's, it's different than being in the back of the kitchen where, you know, customers, you know, they don't see a lot of stuff and, you know, they want the front of the house to look nice out there. So you just kind of got to be careful when you're pulling stuff out. We put down skimboard not to scratch any like fancy floors that they might have out there or stuff like that. Obviously, if, you, if the equipment is near customers that are dining, you're not going to be blowing out condensers with, you know, causing a dust cloud right where they're eating. You got to be aware that there's open food around it. So I just tell them to be aware and think before you act. And, you know, if you have any questions or you're not sure about something, definitely reach out to a senior tech before you um, just make that call yourself. We have so many field technicians who listen to our podcast. Can you think of any other tips, um, maybe some questions that you commonly get from your field technicians? A lot of times just installation, um, with the outdoor kitchens, we're seeing a lot of times in these, you know, their beautiful stone counters and wood cabinets and everything that they really get buried into these things. And, and that can be the hardest time sometimes is, is getting the unit out of these positions to work on. So I would just say, if you are doing an installation, leave like, you know, a quarter of an inch room on each side, just so when you, you do it, you're going to have to service it for maintenance or a service call or to install a new machine to remove the old one. Just leave it serviceable. Um, that means like for a water line and an ice machine, leave a little service loop. So when you pull it out, there's some slack. Same with the electrical and the drain and vice versa. Same, same on the grills and stuff. If they're on a quick disconnect, make sure there's some slack that you can kind of pull it out, clean behind it if you can. And it's, you know, yeah, just be aware of your surroundings and just make sure that if you do an installation that you can service it. Because sometimes that's the biggest thing with the outdoor kitchens is being able to get at the equipment. And you know, that just uh, sounds like good life advice in general. Leave a little room so you can be serviceable. Am I right? All right. Uh, thanks a lot, Garrett. Uh, great stuff. And we appreciate your time as always. Uh, next up, it's our From the Field segment. And on the phone from San Antonio, Texas, we're talking to Commercial Kitchen Parts and Service Director of Corporate Operations, David Duckworth. 
And David, uh, Commercial Kitchen took a call from a convenience store operator with a shiny new fryer. Uh, what was the initial complaint? Well, the initial complaint, and actually it came in, it was an after hours, so it was a weekend call uh, that came in. So it wasn't even our normal hour setting. They were stating that the pilot would not come on on the fryer. So you guys uh, sent the tech over there. Uh, what did he find when he got there? Well, it, it was a little bit of a surprise when he uh, opened up the door of the fryer to check it out. It was a millivolt fryer, but the first thing he spotted was somebody had attached a power cord <laughs> to the gas valve and had plugged it into an outlet in the wall. That doesn't even sound like something that should be possible. <laughs> it shouldn't be, but, uh, you know, there, there are wires that are used in a middle millivolt fryer. So I'm, I, I'm assuming, you know, they, they saw wires and thought, Oh, I need to hook power to this fryer and, and attached a cord to it uh, right on the gas valve. It's got three little terminals on there that have wires connected to it. So <laughs> they must've, uh, thought that was the case and hooked the cord up to it and plugged it in the wall. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about the, the millivolt fryer, how it's actually, like you, like you were saying, a gas fryer, and it, it doesn't even need an electrical cord, right? No. A basic millivolt fryer, it, all it needs is the gas supply, be it you know natural gas, LP, you know, liquid, any of those nature. There, like As I mentioned, this particular model fryer does have wires inside of it, but those wires are carrying a voltage at the level of one thousandths of a volt, which we call millivolts. That's how it operates. There is a gas valve that is a millivolt rated up to 750 millivolts maximum. Again, that's we're talking one thousandths of a volt here. And then those wires are connected through a thermostat through a high limit for protection. And then you have a, what we call a thermal pile. When you light the fryer's pilot and hold that pilot, that flame on that thermal pile starts to generate millivolts. So it is doing voltage, but is doing it at a DC level at one thousandths of a volt again. Gotcha. Um, so it, it, it generates from the heat that's being applied to that thermopile, that is where we start to create this our, our millivolts that actually controls and operates the system. Gotcha. So, so I'm, I, I've heard a lot of these stories, and I'm assuming that this maybe voided the warranty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty much immediately avoided the warranty. You know, they had just purchased this fryer from a, from a dealer. And can I, you can I, you tell I'm me just... about like what was the damage done? I mean, it must have been devastating for the for the inner workings of it. Oh, yes. So like I said, the, the, the valve, again, is the maximum voltage that, that it can handle in DC world is 750 millivolts DC. When they plugged into 120 volts AC, obviously way outside of its capabilities. So it, it, it fried the two little coils that are inside that gas valve that completely burnt out immediately. And then the thermostat is is rated for a low voltage situation as well. So the contacts with inside that thermostat are very tiny and um, they're only designed to to handle millivolt ranges. So, of course, that that thermostat was uh, taken out. And then, of course, the thermopile that's attached to this that's 
supposed to be the part that generates the the voltage needed to operate the fryer. Uh, obviously, that was 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 fried as well. So basically, every component in that fryer was damaged. So it's the case of the fried fryer. <laughs> case of the fried fryer. That's that's a great term for it. How did he re- How did he respond when he came across uh, this? Uh, you know, I think the fryer. He kept his cool. He didn't, you know, get accusatory or anything like that. He, he he obviously saw what it was, knew the kind of damage that was that has been done to the fryer. At that point in time, he did not have all those components with him, anyways. So we shut everything down, disconnected that cord. And then, you know, left from the site and said we would contact back with with the parts we would need in order to take care of this repair. Again, pretty much every component in this fryer is is gone now at this point. When the technician left the location, we did find out where he had the customer had purchased that fryer and we did contact that dealer to say, you know, to inform them what we found on this fryer that they had, had just sold to this customer. And at that point, they said, well, hey, you know, sorry. Yeah, there, we, there were no warranty right. on this, but they were aware of it. So we, we did submit an estimate for repairs, which the customer is trying to claim warranty on. And again, we told them, informed them that, you know, um, they, they pretty much voided any kind of warranty coverage because uh, it wasn't installed correctly. At that point in time, you know, the, the, obviously the customer did not want to pay for that, and and that was the end of the call. We we shut it down on our end. Now, one of the most interesting things uh, that I find about this story is is you kind of really helped out that dealer a lot by letting them know about this particular call because I mean I couldn't believe it when I read it. Did they actually try to return the unit? Yes. <laughs> so so um, we 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 got a phone call. Uh, I would think it was a few days later. Uh, from the dealer uh, back saying that uh, you wouldn't believe this, but the you know the customer had come in and tried to return the fryer, uh, stating that they they decided they didn't need it. Right. Yeah. And, we we uh, fried it and now we're gonna give it back to you. We don't need it anymore. You know, and we had to and we had removed the the power cord off of it, obviously. Um, so, and you know, you can't visibly see the damage. The damage is all internal. So there was nothing visible to see damage-wise. So the only way that the dealer knew that this that they should not take this unit back was because of our notification by our technician to them. Yeah, because they, would, they wouldn't have known, right? I no. mean, they wouldn't have hooked it up to test it if somebody returned it, right? More likely, no. Uh, no. And then, you know, then they would have turned around and obviously probably sold that to somebody else. And then, boom, here we are again. And, and that customer is going to be calling again saying, hey, this doesn't work. And we'd find go out there and find out, well, hey, ever the component in here is, is fried. Is this, a, is this something that's typical in the, in the industry where, you know, techs see something and then, you know, they'll alert, uh, you know, a, a, an agent or a dealer about, hey, this, this could be happening, just a heads up? I think it's something that probably could be enhanced. <laughs> uh, I think the technician, you know, we, we, we tend to have a, a good relationship with with this particular dealer and uh, work well with them on, on other projects. And so, again, that you, you know, you take care of me, I'll take care of you in these situations, keep each other informed of what's going on out there in the world. I know our industry could have more of that interaction for sure to, to benefit, benefit all. I mean, we're all working to be profitable. We're all working to 
take care of our customers, uh, be it selling that equipment to them or servicing that equipment. Uh, so I think the more our dealers and their service agents work hand in hand uh, in these cases, um, a lot of things could be avoided. And yet another case of people helping people that kept everyone's butt covered. All right, it's nuts and bolts time. That's when we turn to you for answers to our monthly question. And this can be a tricky one. What's your favorite part about being a food service equipment service technician? First up, not only a great response, but a great name. It's Duffy's AIS Tech, Tony Fire. My favorite part of being a food service technician is the challenge of the job and getting things fixed so that I can put the smiles back on the faces of all the people I get to meet. Our other responses came via email, so I asked a couple colleagues of mine to stand in. Our first email came from Chris Lipka at Gary's East Coast Service. My favorite part about being a food service equipment service technician is the daily challenges faced in the industry every day. I constantly find myself overcoming the challenge of working on new equipment. It's extremely satisfying once I find the solution and I'm able to fix it. Besides this, I also have made amazing relationships with my coworkers that are always there when I need assistance on a service call. I'm so thankful to be part of this hardworking food service industry. Next up, it's EMR Salisbury technician, Sean Fry. What I love most is the challenge. Every day and every call is a new puzzle to figure out. Sometimes the answer is obvious, like a switch that falls apart in your hand. Other times, it's little things that only happen occasionally and combine to make a symptom that none of the individual issues would cause on its own. The satisfaction of figuring it out and getting things fixed for our customers so they can get on with what they do is what makes the job worth it. Thanks to Bob Kessler and Mike Hoffman for loading their voices to those emails. And thanks to everyone who chimed in. We really do appreciate your time. Next month's question is, the North American Association of Food Equipment Manufacturers show is happening in August. How do you plan to make the most of it? We'd love to hear from you, and you can call in to leave a message. Our number is 312-788-7618. That's 312-788-7618. You can also email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it along to servicecalls at fermag.com. And that's it for this episode of Service Calls, brought to you by TechTown in partnership with Food Service Equipment Reports. We'll be back next month, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'm Rob LaFrance.